Well, good morning, Stadyville Church, and visiting friends, so good to have you with us. Ready or not, here come the holidays. Yikes! <laughs> the rat race is upon us, and for many of us, it's already begun. Thursday is Thanksgiving Day. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And by now, you likely have already determined where you're going and what you're eating, gobble, gobble. You've determined what you're going to be doing, and likely you've determined whether or not you're going to enter that frantic fray we call Black Friday. You know, these modern traditions make us smile, and while I really do want to wish you a very, very happy Thanksgiving and holiday season, I think seriously, conscientious, God-fearing people have to wonder, how do we keep the thanks in thanksgiving how do we stoke the fire of genuine thanksgiving that moves us beyond the meal and beyond the football games and beyond the commercial chatter to what really matters to keep the main thing the main thing well we obviously need the help of the scriptures and we'll be looking at them today and let me first of all illustrate from the scriptures how to ignite a fire of thanksgiving. Take a look at this triangle of fire. Lighting a fire necess necessitates three things, fuel, oxygen, and heat. A fire naturally occurs when these three elements are present and combined in the right mixture. And when they are, poof, a fire occurs, which tells me that fire is as much an event as it is a thing. Now stay with me. Scripture teaches us that the event which prompts God-centered thanksgiving in people is the new birth. When God's Spirit ignites within us an explosion of heaven-sent fire. And the atmosphere in which this occurs is when we hear the proclamation, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the centrality of the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. Look at the triangle of the new birth for a moment. Christ's sacrifice of himself, substitutionary death, and a subsequent resurrection provides the fuel for our salvation. God's word provides the heat and the light. It exposes our great need, our total inability, that we cannot save ourselves by works of righteousness or church rituals. But we are driven to Jesus Christ. It shows us our sin and our need of a Savior. And then God's spirit, like the oxygen, blows powerfully to ignite the flame of faith to believe that Christ is the light of life. The question is, has this happened to you? Has there been an explosion of gospel gratitude within you? Now remember, no one less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself in John chapter 3, 3 said to all of us, you must... Be born again if you would enter the kingdom of heaven. There's, there's no other way. To be born again means, think about the words, to be born a second time. You were born physically. Now you need a spiritual birth, a birth from above, a birth by means of the Holy Spirit, which results in transformation from the inside out. Early this past week, my wife and I took a trip through central Iowa, northwest Iowa, which is home for me, into southwest Minnesota to attend the funeral of my late 
Aunt Angela. And in, in route, we saw lots of these. My wife took this picture out the car window on Tuesday evening. Seems to me wind turbines are popping up all over the place across our state, and including the state of Minnesota. What we noticed as we traveled, especially on Tuesday, the day we buried Aunt Ange, was that the turbines, for the most part, were not turning because there was little to no wind, which is unique for Iowa, I think you'd agree. Now, we could smell the farm rather adequately. Hey, I grew up on a farm. As farmers say, you know, it's the smell of money, you know. <laughs> but, but there wasn't much in the way of the turning of the turbines. Now, now follow me. No wind, no power. No wind, no energy. At the conclusion of Aunt Angeline's service, the preacher who gave the gospel wonderfully, I was so grateful I thanked him for it. At the conclusion, I found myself praying for cousins sitting there. I don't know if you have burdens for your loved ones, but I do for mine. I'm pretty sure a number of them sitting there did not know Jesus Christ personally. I found myself praying, oh, Holy Spirit, would you blow in like a wind with your regenerating spirit and drawing them to faith in Jesus Christ and bring them to the cross of salvation. That's how I prayed. You see, it's only when we have been born again that our hearts burn within us in passionate thanksgiving for God. It's only when we've been born again that our eyes are open to see that God is the source of all of our blessing. It's only when we've been born again that we see God as the center of life itself. To quote the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is, can you genuinely say that of yourself? Do you have a personal relationship where you know that you would go to heaven when you die? A name from yesteryear, two generations ago, Helen Keller, who at 19 months was stricken with the dread disease, perhaps meningitis. She lost her sight, she lost her hearing, and thus she could not speak. She was locked into a prison house of darkness. To quote her, I was at sea in a dense fog until an angel of light by the name of Annie Sullivan came along. Have you seen the movie, read the book? Annie began to use sign language fingers in the palm of Helen to communicate and connect words with things that Helen could touch. Annie was a follower of Jesus Christ and began to tell her about the Lord. And here's what Helen said, and I'm quoting now. Is that what you call him? I've known he was there, but didn't know who he was. You see, Romans 1 tells us that all of us have this innate God consciousness. We know we were made by the one true God, yet many people suppress that and turn away from that so that we are without excuse. My point is, you may know there is a God, but until you are born again and cross over at a point in time from death to life, you have no personal relationship with him, and knowing him makes all the difference. Here's the premise for my message today. Look at the screen. Thanksgiving begins with a profound appreciation for our new creation, i.e. the new birth, if in fact you have been born again, if in fact you have been saved, and then it moves to appreciation for the physical creation we enjoy. My wife Karen's life verse is Revelation 4.11, spoken by the four living creatures in heaven 
And this is what they say at the throne of God. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and power, for you have created all things. And for your pleasure, that is by your will, they are and were created. That verse tells me that the creation itself adds fuel to the fire of thanksgiving, which is where I want to go with you in this message today. To help us do that, I want you to go back to the psalm we read responsibly, Psalm 148. By way of analogy, this psalm roughly parallels what we call the water cycle or hydrologic cycle. If you study the graphic on the screen, you learned this years ago, many of you. I submit that praise is like precipitation. It starts in the heavens, falls to the earth, collects in the water basins, then evaporates back up into the clouds, and the cycle repeats itself. Now, follow me. If you're looking at the psalm, you will see Psalm 148 carefully explains that God-centered praise starts in the highest heaven, the abode of God, then it comes down to the cosmic heavens, the location of the sun, the moon, and the stars, then it comes down the atmospheric heavens, the location of the clouds, the wind, the rain, the hail, then it comes all the way down to earth, to the deepest ocean depths, to all creatures on the face of the earth, things that are inanimate and animate, like the highest of God's creation, humankind. And then if you look at the psalm, it boomerangs all the way back up to heaven again, which tells me your purpose, my purpose for living. Now get this down. This is why God made us. This is what gets us up in the morning our purpose for living is to boomerang God's glory back up to Him. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism put it, the chief end of man is to glorify God and it's to enjoy Him forever. Take a look at the outline of this psalm, a psalm I've entitled Thanksgiving Praise Through the Lens of Nature. First half of the psalm calls for heaven to praise the Lord. Second half of the psalm calls for earth to praise the Lord. So it's kind of like two antiphonal choirs, kind of like we did earlier in the responsive reading. You've got heaven praising the Lord. You've got earth praising the Lord. I hope you'll join me today in praising the Lord as you worship by listening to the Word of God. We're going to unpack this for a few moments. We go back to verse 1. The psalm begins and ends with the familiar exhortation, praise the Lord. 13 times in 14 verses, praise the Lord. Nine times in the first four verses, in essence, praise is synonymous with thanksgiving. This psalm is in the middle of the five final psalms in the Psalter, 146 through 150. Together they comprise an entire section called the Hallel Psalms, the Psalms of Praise. And this emphasis concludes in the last verse of Psalm 150, verse 6, that everything that has breath, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. By the way, I give you permission today to talk in church. If you hear something you like from God's word, what can you say? Praise the Lord, or hallelujah, if you will. In the Hebrew, praise the Lord is hallelujah. Remember, did you grow up with that kid's song like I did? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Up and down we went. Kind of a fun song. Yah is the shortened name for God's personal name, Yahweh. This is the name God revealed to Moses in Exodus 3 when Moses said, you're sending me to deliver the Israelites, but I don't even know your name. And God said, my name is I am. 
sounds strange to us from the Hebrew verb to be, simply means that he's the one true God. He is the eternally self-existent one. He's the only true God. All the gods of the nations are idols. In verse 2, we continue in the highest heaven, the third heaven, the throne room of God, where you find all kinds of angels worshiping. I want you to try to picture this. I wish I could pull back the curtain into the heavens and you could see what's going on right now as, as Kurt is preaching in this service. You'd be blown away. How many angels are up there? I don't know. Revelation 5.11 says 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, which if you multiply out is 100 million. But I think it's really a figure of speech for you can't count them. Millions, billions, trillions of angels, a bunch of which are here today in this room. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. They're watching us worship because they're so amazed that God should save sinners like us. I love that. In verse 3, this hydrologic cycle of praise continues. God moves down to the stellar heavens and focuses on the creation lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars, which is reminiscent of Psalm 19, verses 1 to 3, where, where David gets caught away in glorifying God as he goes out of Jerusalem and looks up into the night sky. Have you ever climbed a high mountain? I used to live in the Pacific Northwest. I'd go up into the Cascades. I'd go up into the Olympic mountains, and where you're away from the ambient lights of Seattle or Tacoma, the brilliance of the heavens is just breathtaking, breathtaking. And David was so caught up, he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day and a day out of speech, and night and a night showeth forth knowledge. There's no speech, there's no language where their voice is not heard. People cannot deny a God who created it all if they look into the heavens. And what do the, what do the stars say? Speaking figuratively, of course. They say, reflect the glory of God is what I do, but look higher because we are but reflected glory and light. His light, his glory is far more superior to our own. Worship the Lord. That's what the stars are telling us. God is called the Father of lights in James 1, and he reflects his glory in created lights. Now, in this visual, you will notice a picture of uh, the sun, the moon, and, and planet Earth. It's not to scale, of course. The, the, the sun is 93 million miles removed from our planet, and yet it's so large, now watch this, it can contain a million 300 planets, 300,000 planets the size of planet Earth. A million 300,000 planets the size of Earth. The sun is so hot at the surface, it burns at 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, but that's nothing. Go to the core of the sun, it burns at 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. And yet it's only one of multiplied billions of stars in our galaxy. Look at the Milky Way galaxy, the spiral galaxy, so beautiful, containing billions of stars. But it's so expensive, it's 100,000 light years across. Tell me, you scientific minds, how fast does light travel? 186,000 miles a second, right? 
which tells me that light circles the globe, the earth, 7.5 times every second. Think about that. Try to wrap your mind around it. How many seconds in a minute? How many minutes in an hour? How many hours in a day? How many days in a month? How many months in a year? Multiply that out at that speed. How many seconds are there in 100,000 light years? Now get this. The Milky Way is only one, astronomers tell us, of billions of galaxies, each with billions of stars. Our God is so amazing, so worthy of praise and thanksgiving. In the Hallel Psalms 147, verse 4, we read that God has numbered and named every star in the universe, which makes me laugh because I can't get through the names of my four adult children my 10 grandkids without messing up their names. Can I load you up for a moment into a spaceship and take you out there? I'm going to start at Google headquarters in San Fran, and we're going to take you out just a little distance into outer space, and then all the way back down into the human eye. I want you to watch this video, The Cosmic Eye, and give glory to the Creator. Direct your attention to the screen. Praise the Lord. That didn't happen by evolutionary accident, friends. That's the creator who made you and me and everything we see. How does watching that impact you? It makes me feel not only praiseworthy toward God, but it makes me see how big he is and how small I am. And yet he loved me enough to leave where his location is beyond our universe, outside of my world, into my world to save me. The great creator became my savior. Talk about a reason for thanksgiving. Heaven is called to praise the Lord, and heaven does its part. But now earth must respond. The second half of the psalm commands the earth to praise God. So many animate creatures all around us give rise to glorify God and how they were created. You know, one of the things I enjoyed about growing up on an Iowa farm was not only the domesticated animals, but seeing the wildlife, how God made them. It's so phenomenal. What we call instincts are designs from the Creator. It's why birds migrate. It's why bears hibernate in the winter. It's why even as I speak in the Pacific Northwest, salmon are coming in by the millions from the Pacific Ocean, swimming upstream to deposit their eggs and to be fertilized in the very place where they were birthed in their eggs. Who made them that way? God did. Even as I speak, bucks are in the rut fighting for the right to mate with does, to produce fawns in the spring, to jump out in front of our cars next summer. <laughs> so many illustrations here. I don't have enough time. Uh, in verse 10, it talks about the little guys, the insects. Can I show you a fun video about bees? Take a look at this and be amazed. And all God's people said, Pray, praise the Lord. He's the one who created them. I love bees if for no other reason than they provide honey for the oatmeal I eat every morning. <laughs> well, let me move on. The first American Thanksgiving was about the harvest and the harvest is just about in. 
The corn's almost all in. We saw that, combines working day and night when we drove back. Uh, corn's the primary cash crop here in Iowa. So, so some fun stats about corn. Uh, listen to this. An average ear of corn has 800 kernels arranged in 16 rows. Almost every ear has an even number of rows. There's one piece of silk for each kernel. A bushel of corn contains about 27,000 kernels, and the average yield on Iowa fields is now approaching 200 bushels an acre, and all this designed by God, who is worthy of our praise. Hey, can you be inclusive of God on Thursday at your place? Really, if you're a Christian? Can I urge you to pray before you eat and return thanks for God's provision? Can I urge you after you eat to read maybe one of these psalms, one of the Hallel psalms, to give God glory? Can I urge you to go around the table and everybody take a turn to, to say something they're thankful for to the Lord and include the kiddos as well as the older people because that's commanded in verse 12. There's one last final great reason to praise the Lord in our text. It's found in verse 14. This verse speaks to the horn of God's people. The horn is the leading graphic symbol of thanksgiving today. We, we know it as the cornucopia. The ancients used a literal horn filled with fruits and vegetables. But I submit the horn in our text implies more than a container for fruit. The ancient animal horn was seen as a picture of power and often referenced kings. In verse 14, the reference to the horn that is raised up is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the king of Israel, the king of the universe, and the king of glory. Do you know in the New Testament, the book of Colossians chapter 1, we learn that Jesus Christ is creator God. He's before all things, through whom all things were created, and now by whom all things hold together. He's the centerpiece of our praise because he moved from creation to the cross. And so the blood of the cross Colossians 1.20 tells us that we come to peace with God. We're reconciled to God. He made it possible for us to know and love God. It's by his death and by his life that we find purpose for our existence and praise for our souls. Friends, it's all about Jesus. Psalm 148 verse 14 explains how to find joy thanksgiving if you're lacking. Look at the verse and drink it in. He, God, has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all of his saints, for the people of God who are near him. Praise the Lord. So how do you get near the Lord? In our recent study in Exodus, we learned that Moses came to know God through the revelation of the burning bush. The voice from this bush announced God's name. Asked for Moses' obedience. Moses had to turn aside. He had to draw near. In humility, he had to remove his sandals. He hid his face. He acknowledged that you are the one true God, which is necessary for true salvation. In the Gospel of John, we learn that the I am of the burning bush is Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Seven times in the Gospel, Jesus identifies himself as I am. And one of those is in John chapters 8 and 9 where he says, I am the light of the world. He's the one who shows us the way, it is the way, who draws us near to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Here's how 
Hebrews 10, 21, 22 puts it, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, namely Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. You ever struggle with faith, really trusting God? I, I have in my life. I did as a kid. I was an insecure kid who really struggled with a lack of assurance of salvation. So let me just unpack my testimony briefly here at the end. In my late uh, grade school years, I made professions, but I never had assurance of my salvation until one summer, just before my freshman year, I was age 14, I went to the church camp up in Clear Lake, and I sat with 500 other teenagers, and I listened to the preaching of the gospel for the late Dr. Paul Tassel, great man of God. And to be honest, what he said, I do not remember but what happened, I can never forget. When God starts to deal with you, there's something that happens inside, and you know it's God trying to talk to you. And he was talking to me that night. I was under conviction. I was not sure. I didn't have assurance of salvation. He preached the gospel that Christ died for me and rose again, and I could be saved if I would simply believe by faith, turn from my sins, and trust in the Lord. And when that service concluded, they gave a public invitation, and I was the first of those 500 students to make my way to the front to say, God, I'm nailing this baby down tonight. I want assurance of knowing I'm going to heaven. And you can have that too, because in that moment, in that blessed, unspoken language of the soul, the wind of the Spirit spoke to me. I receive you through Jesus Christ. God granted me assurance through his word. He that has the son has life. Do you have the son? If you do, you've got the greatest reason for thanksgiving that there is on planet earth. And then everything beyond that is gravy. All the blessings he gives you. I hope you'll think about the God of creation and give him praise not just this Thanksgiving, but every day of your life if you are truly in Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray as I prayed at the end of my aunt's funeral for anyone who may be here today that has never been born again. They may have a consciousness of God like Helen did, but they don't really know you personally. They've never been saved. They've never crossed over from death to life in a moment in time and receiving Christ. I pray in this precious moment, you'll draw them. You'll speak to them and show them that Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. May they trust, may they believe, and may in that unspoken language of the soul, may you whisper in their ears, I receive you through my son. I accept you, and you're forever mine. And may we reflect that as we praise you, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but every day of our lives and throughout eternity. May we praise you for your amazing holiness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.